0: Welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down to earth vibe. Sasquatch listens while waxing his EV. This is through the pines, not his legs, Brandon. On this episode, we'll cover money mind games and behavioral finance with wealth management. So, money mind games include things like emotions and money, fear, biases, cognitive errors, panic selling. What are cognitive biases in wealth management? confirmation bias, overconfidence bias, loss aversion, behavioral finance strategies, including clear investment goals, have them, diversified portfolios, use them, automatic investment plans, Brandon's favorite, long-term versus short-term thinking, delayed gratification. That is a good tip. And we'll give you more practical tips to become more aware of financial biases and emotions on this episode of Through the Pines. So Introducing Forbes Best in State Wealth Management Teams for Utah, Baxter, Nelson and Associates, also Advisor Hub, fastest growing advisors to watch under $1 billion, and the receivers of the Mayor Prize Clients Experience Award, which sounds like a really good thing rex baxter and brandon smith here in the studio welcome to the podcast you can find their information at planwithbaxter.com please visit our facebook page through the pines follow us on instagram at pines underscore podcast and subscribe to youtube so you can watch our wonderful beautiful faces at through the pines podcast rex welcome to the program
1: Thanks okay. for having us. Okay. <laughs> there a <it>. delay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought you were going to follow that up. And I, so yeah. I was like, <clears throat> But thank you. We're excited to be here.
0: All right. So we are going to talk about emotions and money. And I know this is a subject that you are versed in because uh, you were raised by parents of counselors, I believe. And so uh, if you can discuss how, and this is interesting to me, but, I, you know, money is a touchy subject. Uh, people will avoid talking about it. They will just push it aside. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it. And so talk to me about the emotions and money and things like fear, greed, anxiety, and how that all plays into decision-making when it comes to money and wealth building.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Brandon. I love this subject. And so this is this is probably one of my my favorite and, and most interesting subjects that, that I like to talk about. And and, uh, you know, money, mind games, it's not because I like mind games, uh. but because I like learning about how people think about money. And I like learning about, um, you know, the, the decision making and, and revealing with our clients and with the people that we talk about kind of the thought processes that may be creating some of their biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of their decision-making processes, and so uh, love the topic. Appreciate you bringing it up and and giving us a chance to to speak about money mind games. So so fear, greed, and anxiety, right? Those are those are three significant emotions that typically when we're when we're having those emotions, we make terrible terrible decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's interesting to see how those impact decision making ability and and where that head trash comes from that that you know has us make those decisions so let's let's get into it right let's get into yeah. some examples and and let's let's talk about it let's let's talk about fear right what's what's more fearful than than a 2008 scenario where it's one of the greatest you know recessions of of modern history hmm. Um, you know, you saw the stock market drop, you know, 45, 50% in nine months timeframe. And, and what would that look like if on, you know, December 1st of 2007, you walked in and you told your boss, Hey, I'm going to retire
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm going to retire today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've ran through all my numbers. They all look fantastic. I'm, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to get great returns over my retirement. And, and you go in and you pull the, you know, you pull the pin, mm-hmm, you retire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And over the next nine months, all of your retirement savings dips by 40%. Mm. How fearful, how stressful is that?
0: Oh, I'm looking for because another job.
1: The, yeah. Right. You're not working. You lost your income stream because you're retired, right? And so you have no longer, you know, the ability to generate that income unless you go back to work. And now all of your retirement savings, all your projections, are they out the window? Or are they not out the window? And and what's going through your head as you're watching, you know, that that two million dollars go down to million five, million three, million two, mm. and and you're just seeing that you know go down and down and, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to provide for my family? Am I going to be able to to maintain the lifestyle? Am I going to be able to help my kids through college? Am I going to be able to travel and see my grandkids? You're seeing all these things, and all of a sudden that fear starts playing on you. And you think i've got to stop the bleeding i've got to make a decision and i've got to protect my family because i've i've seen you know other people in my life not be able to do it and so i'm going to sell and they let fear make that decision for them and maybe in october of 2008 they may have made a terrible decision locked in those losses sold just in time for the next two and a half three years to see the market recover and and they didn't participate. That they they had the ability to to let fear control their emotions, make a terrible decision, and lock in those losses, and and not recover from it.
0: So and, Rex, stagflation is probably even worse, right? Because if it drops and then the market doesn't bump up for another five ten years, that's a significant period of someone's retirement. So how does someone know that it's it that a market may recover within the shortest? short of a span as it did from 2008 to 2011
1: yeah so stagflation being something different right flat inflation but Mm -hmm. but a flat market you know for for five years right we've gone through periods of flat markets yeah sorry excuse me that's
0: yeah i meant i I sort of yeah Stagflation is one thing but this but but also flattening of the market yeah
1: right so a a flat market typically is not truly a flat market Mm -hmm. right and so you have a decade what we what we like to refer to as the decade of no return right and that's the decade from 2000 to 2010 to where essentially the market ended down one percent in 2010 on a price basis versus 2000 oh. right that's a decade of a flat market and yet from 2000 2002 the market was down roughly 40 percent. from 2002 to 2007 the market was probably up significantly and i don't, I don't remember a percentage but it was up significantly. And then 2008 you know, until March of 2009, it bottomed and then it, and then it came back up. But all of that movement, all of that gyration, all of that volatility took the market nowhere hmm. over that decade. So do they know? No, nobody knows. Nobody can predict that future. And we certainly have gone through periods of flat markets. Um, but that's also taking into financial planning and into our you know, our our projections and our considerations. But the the difficulty is when you get the psychological behavior of letting your emotions control your decisions. Mm-hmm. And whether that's fear, such as the example that I laid out, or whether it's greed to where now all of a sudden they saw the market recover. They didn't take any action in 2010, 2011 2012, 2013, 2014. You know, they're frozen, frozen, frozen because now they have a, you know, something like a post-traumatic um, stress disorder from that downward movement. Uh-huh. And now all of a sudden, you know, they see the, the great returns of 2021. They're like, oh my gosh, I've got to get some of this. I'm going to put all the money back in the market because I need those returns just at the top of the market in time to see a 2022 when the market drops 25%.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that's the roller coaster of letting emotions drive your decision-making. Okay, And and you have to dig into it deeper than that. You have to dig into it as to why why are they making these decisions, right? Where does that come from? Where's the fear come from? What happened in their life at Mm -hmm. younger ages with their family, with their parents, with their siblings, with their circle of friends that have influenced that decision? What's put Mm -hmm. these concepts and ideas into their head? Is it movies books radio podcasts Mm -hmm. right where does that come from and where are they getting this information from and is it being um fed is it being you know people essentially kind of encouraging and confirming these these fears and 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 the greed and making it feel like it's okay to do or or what's that happening so delving into that with clients i think is really important
0: well how early on in the process Rex when you're speaking to a client or someone that comes to you and says hey I would like to begin investing in in the market do you ascertain that and and try and go through uh their fears their anxieties and how to cut that off of the past because I feel like if they know this something like that is going to happen in their 10, 15, 30 years worth of investing. If they know that in advance, then it's a little easier to handle when you say, Yeah, I told you this may happen, than if you never talk to them at all.
1: Yeah, so so a plan with Baxter, you know, Baxter, Smith and Associates is as we're slowly changing our name. So that's the first time I think on our podcast that we've mentioned that we're actually changing our name from Baxter Nelson Associates to Baxter Smith and Associates. We really like to take our clients through a 12-hour interview process on that first meeting. Hmm. No, Don, um, we don't like to count, count me Brennan. out. That Brennan's is like wow. <laughs> <you're moving on?
0: laughs> I'm like twelve hours. Yeah, we that don't is, do that. Okay, all right.
1: <laughs> we don't do that. It. I. I think during the first meeting or two, we like to lot ask a lot of of questions, and 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 even you know try and play a devil's advocate to your answers a little bit to try and get you to think and and help us understand how you're thinking and how you're processing information. Yeah. And so, you know, lots of times an example of that would be trying to determine your risk tolerance, how aggressive or conservative you need to be and and comparing um, percentage declines to dollar declines. And I've done that before on our podcast to, to where people that that have, you know, $100,000 and they say, oh, I'm extremely aggressive. I can handle a 20% decline or a 10% decline. And, and we'll say, that's great. So if 100,000 goes down to 90,000, or 100, 000 goes down to eighty thousand. Is that okay? Yep, that's just fine. I can lose ten thousand, twenty thousand, and and it'll recover, and I'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, we up that to a million dollars, and we're like, okay, so you don't mind moving, losing two hundred thousand dollars, or three years of your income, and, and they're like, no, wait, 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 I'm not comfortable with that. I never said I was comfortable with with losing two hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, well, you said twenty percent, and and so we kind of go through those examples, and that helps us determine kind of where your thinking is at and how you're thinking as an example and so we'll go through different questions around money as we go but it it really does take us a long time to really get to know our clients well right there's it, it may take us a year two years three years of working with clients to to really start to understand where some of that information comes from
0: okay well let's do a little test right now on air we'll use me as an example um I am self-employed and uh, that means, and this is recently, so the, the income can go up or down, like you can have good times and bad times when you're self-employed. And since, so since this is new to me um, and I've experienced times where uh, starting a business, the income is not where you want it to be yet, right? It's a little lower. And so I fall into, personally, I find mentally it almost prevents me from making any, I almost get too tight. Like I don't want to spend any money, and that can that also be bad, or or what are the, what are the implications of just like, not wanting to spend a thing? Is that is that bad or no?
1: Yeah, it it, it can be bad, mm. right? Because you still need to be saving for retirement. You still need to be paying yourself first. You need to make sure that that you're you're saving money for your business slow times as well. So your emergency fund needs to be bolstered up a little bit. But once you get it to a certain stage then then bolstering it up five times higher than where it needs to be Mm. you know where does that come from why do you feel that need and and is it because you're you're feeling that your revenues and earnings won't be there for a prolonged period of time is it because you saw another startup company or startup you know somebody else start their business um go through two-year periods of of lulls where's that being driven from that Mm -hmm. fear of being able to, to save and still do the financial things that we need to be doing to, to get you where you need to be in your life.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And yeah. that's what we need to dig into a little bit is where's is that coming from and, and why are doing that? Because that's the only real way to dig into, um, how to change that thought process and how to get you comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes. And,
2: and okay. I think, I think a hard part on that is, is a lot of it is subconscious. Right. You don't realize and that's the hard part of these biases mm-hmm. is you don't understand that that there is more greed in there than should be. Right. And then you don't understand that there's more fear in there. Like you think that's just the the pure remote like that, that that's what needs to happen. And so getting back to I mean Rex's first example, right? Of of going into retirement and seeing your portfolio drop in half. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't that shouldn't ever happen. Right. I mean, you your portfolio should be built such that it's not fully exposed to the market as you go into retirement, if you can't handle those kind of uh, those swings. But what would drive someone to do that? Well, I see it all the time, right? I see it people, they look at the market, they look at the last five years, like, holy cow, if I can keep doing this for another couple of years, my portfolio is going to be awesome. That's the greed, right? And they think that it's analytical. They think that they've run the numbers on it, but what they fail to understand is that you can't predict the future. Right. And that that we need to be more disciplined about how we are investing those monies. And then all of a sudden it it, it cycles. And ironically, the opposite of greed seems to be the, the fear, right? And mm-hmm. and and being overly, you know, cautious that way. Um, but but it plays into just the opposite. And so I think I think high level we need to make sure that we're and that's one of the benefits of working with an advisor is it helps you talk through what your decisions are, why we're making those decisions and then helps us make an actual strategic plan to get through that.
0: Brandon, what, I don't know, are you prepared to answer these questions on, on definitions? Like what is confirmation bias? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So,
2: so confirmation bias is, is simply, you know, if I want, if I think I know something, right? I'm like, ah, I've got a sneaky suspicion that the earth is flat, right? We'll just say. And I go on the internet and I type, is the earth flat? Right, I guarantee you, I can come up with article after article after article confirming that yes, indeed, the Earth is flat. I, like, I knew it. I knew mm-hmm. it. I looked at the sun, right? It looked flat, right? <laughs> I knew the whole and 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 yet, is it really? You know, I mean, maybe someone would argue, but but no, right? Like it's a it's a globe, right? And 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 so, but if if you're if you are just simply trying to find answers that you that you want to to know, maybe not the the easy answers. Then, then you're going to find that, right? Mm. Is the stock market going to crash, right? Guarantee you, you'll be able to find an article and a reason why it's going to crash through all market cycles.
0: Not only that, but there's people on social media who they and YouTube who basically make that their career. Is they'll pick a niche that will confirm people's confirmation bias, and they just go all in on that. And then right. that's that's like how they make money. They get all the views,
2: right? And and that's what it's unfortunately mostly driven by. Is yeah. it it it's it, we either clicks but a lot of times it's subscriptions, right? You're you subscribed to this and you'll know, I predicted eight of the last, you know, right. eight recessions. And and if you subscribe to me, I'll tell you when the next one is right. Or, or, or oftentimes they're, they're selling a product. They're selling gold. They're selling, you know, something that's going to be able to to survive the next apocalypse or whatever it is. And so, yeah, yeah. You've got to
0: definitely be, be conscious of that. Rex, what about overconfidence bias? Is that something you see?
1: So absolutely. I think going back to the example that I gave, right, let's let's back that up just a little bit to what may have driven that decision for that person to be that aggressive going into, you know, 2008. And, and it probably is overconfidence because if you back that up hmm. 20 years and you say, OK, this person started investing maybe in the late 80s after the 87 crash and they experienced the greatest bull market that the U.S. had ever had right leading up through the 90s up to the tech bubble and even though we had that downturn from 2000 to 2002 it climbed all the way back up to 2007 so their experience is a phenomenal stock market mm-hmm. amazing returns a setback great recovery all the way back up to new highs mm-hmm. and so they're they're very comfortable being extremely aggressive and have based their assumptions off of that uh, bias mm-hmm. off of that you know, aggressive mentality. Yeah, that's their life. And that's so, their
0: lived experiences is a common word like to use these. That's their lived experience. Right. And that's their, they're all in on that right now.
2: But yep, not, That's
1: their experience. Yeah. And so they're very comfortable being that aggressive. And then they go into retirement and all of a sudden they got hit upside the head with a two by four. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now they're, because they now have based all of these life decisions off of that, that aggressive, you know, bias that they've had. And now they're fearful and they just made a terrible decision because of that. And so a lot of times what we need to do is temper either the aggressiveness or conservatism, depending upon where that's coming from, right? You'd, you'd work with people that, that experienced, started investing in the 70s and went through uber high inflation. And and the best bond market in history as as bonds went from a 14% interest rate down to virtually zero over the next 25 years and so they're very comfortable with fixed income and and looking at those rates of return and then all of a sudden we're at a zero interest rate for a long period of time those people that grew up in that time period are probably extremely conservative and don't trust the stock market because they saw the stock market essentially be underwater for for the vast majority of their of their saving adulthood Mm-hmm. And so in that position, we need to be able to take the opposite side of that and work with them to get comfortable with market volatility and comfortable with balanced portfolios and comfortable with trying to, you know, keep pace with inflation over time, where bonds couldn't do that for, for the last 15 years.
0: Yep. Brandon, so, oh, go ahead.
1: Thanks. Yeah, no, go, go ahead, Brandon. I okay. was just going to say that as advisors you know, we need to, to make sure that we're digging into the behavioral finance and into these money, mind games and and the head trash that, that people kind of are involved in, in order to, to give them the best advice for them, Mm -hmm. but not only the best advice, but help them work through being able to accept that best advice
0: for Mm -hmm. them. Interesting.
2: Yeah. I, I, uh, couldn't agree more. And I think the lifetime overconfidence absolutely comes in. But a lot of times we see it on the short term, too. You know, I can't tell you how often, not necessarily anymore, but a couple of years ago. I mean, I'd have clients coming. Oh, yeah. My my son or my brother in law or my uncle or my friend is a cryptocurrency genius. Right. I mean, they it's, it's beyond me. But man, they can they really understand cryptocurrencies and they can trade and they're making all sorts of money. And 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 you know, was it really making money? Nobody's saying that anymore. Why? Because cryptocurrencies have fallen off so much. Well,
0: you got a reprieve from that in the last couple of years. Don't you? <laughs> but but
2: but but it, but I think it illustrates that overconfidence, right? Oh. Was it was it really you picking the right the right currencies, or did you just get lucky? Right? We saw it in the tech bubble, mm. right, where where you just buy anything with a dot .com and it flew through the roof. And, and was that because you were really fundamentally understanding the companies and what was going to go up or did you get lucky, you know, Mm. and, and understanding it's all right to get lucky, but it's, it's more important that we understand where that luck's coming from. Because if you, if you don't recognize that there was maybe some luck in that and, and that, and you have that overconfidence bias, then you're going to double down on it. And, and maybe you still just got a 50, 50 shot of winning.
0: Yeah. So loss aversion is fascinating to me, Rex, because loss aversion is, is fearing losses more than appreciating gains. And it's like, oh, I just made a thousand dollars. Yay. And then as soon as you lose a hundred bucks, like just lost a hundred bucks. And then you lose your mind and forget that you even made a thousand dollars. So how, how do you talk people off that cliff? Yeah,
1: this, this is one of the strongest Mind games out there, in my opinion, is loss aversion huh. because it's it's abso- absolutely a real thing that that people um, feel a lot more pain there's even a, a lot of psychological studies as far as where they've done brain scans and they've looked at the the neural centers and 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 looked at how that kind of sparks when looking at a loss versus a gain huh. and and so it's so true that the pain of a loss is so significantly more intense than the joy of a game Mm. and and being able to kind of take a step back and and be logical about that and taking the emotion out of it is significant but very few people can do that and and especially when it's on their own money which i think is is a significant Mm -hmm. you know value add to using an advisor Mm. Is because an advisor isn't going to be overly emotional about your money. They, not to say they don't care about your money. They care and they want to help you reach your goals. And, and they, they really do have your best interest at heart. But, but they're not going to feel that neurocenter center pain mm. um, or the aversion to loss that you're going to feel about your own dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and so that guiding hand, that steady hand. Can be significant in helping you reach your goals,
2: and I've seen that in other advisors—not Rex, but literally other advisors who, who you know, they—I they, watch them manage all these other people's money, and then with their own stuff, like they've, you know, come. Like, I don't know, Brandon, what is it? you know, and, and they're mm. just like, just not, just in so much, and I'm like, I know you can do this in your sleep. <laughs> but when it's you, you know, like it, it just triggers different. And, and I like to think that I'm, you know, more, you know, analytic, whatever. But, but I love running stuff by Rex. Like, mm-hmm. all right, Rex, here's what I'm thinking. Tell me where I'm crazy, you know. And, and some of that's, you know, strategic, kind of making sure I'm seeing everything. But some of it is, is, you know, just getting that confirmation, feeling good about the risks that I'm taking and, and, and where.
0: Yeah. So, Rex, I mean, what are, what are some that we sort of that's a strategy right there sharing it with somebody else what are some of the strategies you use with your clients rex to overcome some of these biases when it comes to their financial investments
1: i think i think storytelling is extremely powerful right Mm -hmm. and i think sharing examples and 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 kind of pointing things out it, it is always interesting to me because i'll i'll share a story and and the first thing and this is so natural for everybody is everybody's like oh that's not me that's him right that's or, or that's her or that's so and so right that's not me i don't yeah. do that yeah but that is a great story rex thank you for sharing right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it it is interesting because then you have to play you know kind of kind of that and, and it's not narcissism right but it's it's that same concept of of i would never do that mm. and everybody else would mm. and and so but I think storytelling is significant, I think, you know, especially if you can make it personal to mm-hmm. them and and walk through maybe softly. And this this can be offensive sometimes, but you walk them through kind of their own decision making history a little bit and and kind of show them that, hey, you know, we all have this. And, and here's how I've seen a little bit of this in you. Do you recognize that? And. And that can kind of be telling and and you know, once they get over the the hurt or anger of of kind of pointing that out, then typically, you know, we can move forward. So Rex, you know.
0: how much of your job is is playing psychologist and really trying to understand and doing the best for your clients, but um y- I mean, I'm thinking of the word, you got to trick them into it, but, 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 but in the long run, it's better for, you know what I mean? Like you're only trying, you're only out there trying to do the best for them.
2: Can I take this? Yeah. So, we don't sure. trick
1: anybody into anything, no. but I do, you know, just, just like I have a disclaimer that I, I don't provide tax advice, right. I don't provide marriage counseling either. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and yet there, there is a lot of psychology as far as those discussions Um, and behavioral finance and talking through behaviors, uh, in this industry and in this business, if, if you're a financial advisor, that's running a good solid, you know, holistic financial planning practice, you know, if you're, if you're working with somebody that's just trying, you know, just trying to push product or just trying to, to sell something then you're probably not going to not going to get that same attention to detail, to to behaviors and and the same handholding and steady hand and guidance that you might get from other advisors. So I do think that that is something that that if you recognize that in yourself that you need that, and I will say that I think a lot of people need it. Um, then then you want to make sure that you match that with a financial advisor that's right for you.
0: Interesting, Brandon. So. I- all right,
2: I'll argue with you on that Rex. Um, we're not marriage counselors. I I'll, I'll, I'll uh, that's true. However, I can't tell you how often clients have said, you know, I think we really leave significant marital stress and not not just cuz, you know, we're amazing or something, but 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 because when when both spouses are on the same page financially, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, finances are one of the number one sources of stress in a marriage. Um, and and oftentimes that stress comes because people just don't know where they're at.
0: Well, it's the same reason I, I don't want to teach my kid to ski. And so you bring in a third party to do, to do the hard work, <laughs> to do the right? dirty work, to, the to dirty be the work. one saying, Hey, right. you're
2: not actually doing the pizza. Right. Yes, I am. You know, like, yeah, yeah you need someone else to say, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And And then also checking the cognitive biases because we all have them, but oftentimes they're different. Right. And one spouse wants to spend a lot of money. One spouse wants to save all the money mm-hmm. and maybe they're both wrong, right? Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. And as long as we can make sure that the plan that we make gets them both on the right track. I mean that that makes all the difference in the world, and and time after time after time, I've heard you know clients kind of mention that right, that uh, almost jokingly about their financial fights, but then the, they defer it like, well, Brandon said this, so you go talk to Brandon. Brandon says it's okay, you know, and and you're the fall guy, and not that I <laughs> right yeah. right, but okay. but ultimately I I don't know that anyone needs to be a hero or a fall guy, but rather just hey, let's make sure this is within budget. And because usually the, the spouse that wants to save, save, save is just worried about the future. And as long as the future is in check, you know, and the spouse that wants to spend, 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 just wants to get, have fun and enjoy life and, and get those things. And if we can make both of those happen, then they can both fully enjoy life as, you know, as as it should be. So Have
0: you had couples where they just will not get on the same page? Oh, absolutely. Oh.
2: Yeah. And yeah, and we're not miracle workers.
0: Just kidding. No,
2: but that that
1: manage their their finances completely independent of each other because of that exact reason. Mm. Right? That they can't get on the same page. And and so and so we've got to kind of work through that a little bit. I, you know, frequently you'll hear me say, the only way I know how to work with people is we is we throw the issues on the table, we talk about it, we make sure that you know we're never gonna walk away offended. You're never gonna offend me. Hopefully I never offend you. Um, But that's the only way I know how to deal with it. And so, and so here we go. And here's the baggage. Here's the, here's the mind game baggage that's going on the table. And it looks like, you know, Mrs. Klein, it looks like you're going through these decisions and and maybe it's because of your family was, you know, check to check all through growing up and Mm -hmm. and mom made your clothes and and everything else. And so you feel like you need to spend today because they, they passed away at a young age. And, and, and so you don't see the need to save for a long time. And, And, you know, Mr. Client, you see that, you know, your, your situation is very different. Your, your mom and dad are, you know, living until they're 90 or a hundred and, and they ran out of funds. And so now they're, they're living at sister's house or whatever. And so you need to save for retirement, right? And so, you know, somewhere in there, we need to, to kind of marry what, you know, full situation. So we're living for today and for tomorrow and try and figure out what that compromise looks like and and having those conversations and lots of times we'll we'll have the conversation of look when you go away from here we're not trying to cause fights right the only way that that we know how to work with a couple is to communicate be transparent be open listen understand that we're all trying to get to the same place and we all are looking out for each other's best interest right nobody's trying to cut anybody off from anything we're just trying to figure out the best way to get this you know situation and and goal achieved together hmm. and and having that conversation but i think throwing conversations like that on the table and having it out in the open and and hitting that on the front end i truly believe it helps the conversations after they leave our office to be a little more open and and a little more loving and and a little more you know trying to reach that common goal and then when we come back for another meeting or, or as we continue to meet over the years we continue to make progress in the right direction and and i think that repetition of meeting regularly and hearing some consistency about understanding what their fears are understanding what the greed is understanding what those different issues are those those different mind games that they're playing with themselves and and trying to to kind of navigate those turbulent waters is is really good over time but i think consistency of messaging is critical in that
2: and and i think that's what a good financial plan does right like is is it it helps us relieve these these bad emotions the the emotions of too much stress or sorry too much fear or too much greed right it checks us when we're saying no i want to take more risk it helps check and bring that in to to a marriage to a financial plan and and just bringing all these things to the table and and and, and it's it's the the combination of all these poor biases that makes for such such uh I don't know fireworks and dramatics. Whereas if we can relieve them from both sides, right? So one side it might be a relief of fear. One side it might be a relief of of overly you know being too greedy that's causing the the discontent. But if you, a good plan keeps us on track, so that we can hopefully you know, and it's it's a work in progress, you know. Yeah,
0: Rex, talk to me about delayed gratification. So in my notes here, I have. Um, short-term versus or long-term versus short-term thinking and the concept of delayed gratification and the benefits of long-term thinking and wealth management. But is that something that can be learned or is that something that, you know, like practice, like somebody can practice over and and learn how to do that? Or is that just flat out a maturity thing and someone has to be mature enough to understand the concept before they put it into practice?
1: I, I know an awful lot of mature people that cannot put that into practice Mm. (laughs) and so i i think it's absolutely a a learned trait and a and a trainable trait over time um but i think it's i think it's a constant battle and a high wall that you have to climb and because you're always facing it and and i think it, it it's challenging because as time has gone on and I think each generation, the, the immediate set gratification becomes more and, and more intense Mm. of trying to do it, trying to want what your parents had, trying to have what your neighbor had, you know, trying to, to, to buy the best, you know, e-bike or e-vehicle or whatever, right? Whatever, whatever the newest, hottest thing in town is. Um, and, and so Cell I, I think that's, I yeah, sell <laughs> yeah. boat, right. It's, it's tough. The, the, you know, the, the fight is real. The challenge is real. Um, I, I think it is absolutely trainable. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, lots of times we'll, we'll talk about costs of financial advisor and all oh, I can get X amount of money managed for, for X percent at, at, you know, this discount firm or that discount firm. And, and yet I think the reality of it is that people that work with advisors typically have a much higher um rate of goal achievement of hitting their goals and being able to retire confidently and and things along those lines because of working with somebody that that understands their psyche understands their psychological makeup and can help them balance that gratification between buying something immediately versus delaying that For being able to, to, you know, meet their needs in retirement, whether that be medical needs, their, their desire to see their grandkids and travel a little bit more with their grandkids or children, Um, you know, helping out at charity, helping out a nonprofit or an organization or a cause they're passionate about and, and trying, but there's still, there, there is a balance. There is something to be said for, for still enjoying life today. Yeah. And, and sometimes you get a spouse that's all about delayed gratification which the other spouse thinks never gratification right they think that that's so far off in the future that Mm -hmm. they're never going to be gratified and and yet you see the other spouse that's like oh my gosh you're enjoying life so much today that that you know we're we're never going to be able to take care of things in the future and balancing that out is tricky interesting
0: uh what so rex talk to me about um because you brought it up just a, a second ago the the Importance sure. throw throw something in my lap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the importance of having clear goals. Like how does that clear investment goals? So you sit down with a client and you come up with these clear investment goals. How does that ease the the stress, um, the anxiety of, of finance within that, you know, that family or that situation?
1: Well, well, I think a lot of clients have a have a difficult time initially of articulating their goals. Right. And, and I think a, a big part of what we do is try and help them define what it is that, that they're really trying to do and what's important to them. And I, and I think that that takes a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of digging in and trying to see what it is they're trying to do um, and, and what's important to them, what their values are, you know, and, and what's important. I think as we discover that, as we discover what those goals are. Then I think it's much easier to say, okay, well, this is the way that we achieve them and and try and map that out. Because at the end of the day, there's only so many variables that you can control. Right. You can control how aggressive or conservative you are, which over time should um, help influence greatly influence your rate of return on your money. You can control how much you save or how much you spend. You can control the goal date. Do I retire when i'm fifty five? Do I retire when i'm sixty five? Right? So there's only so many variables that you can control. and And trying to marry those variables is what makes a a great financial plan and 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 a planning process of working with those clients and saying, look, if we if we work a year longer, then then this is what that looks like. If we work a year you know shorter, and we save X amount more, or we take a little more risk than we have a this percentage you know this chance of reaching that goal. This is our probability of success based upon you know historical volatility and returns and and using different scenarios. And I think going through those helps them understand uh, the decision making and and helps them prioritize what really is important to them is it? Is it more important to retire early? Is it more important to live a, a better life and, and retire later? Is it more important to, to deal with a little more stress and try and shoot for a little better return? Is it more important to to live a little, a little less stressful? And and so working through that and, and showing them is, is critical, I think, to, to them buying into the process to try and reach their goals.
0: Well, behaviorally, and I just thought of this, this is not in my notes, but I'll hit you with this, Rex. Um, based off of trending politicians, careers and the ages (laughs) that they tend to keep working into, have you noticed that, uh, retirement's age and they just keeps going. I mean, these people are working forever, ever, you know, like, is, have you noticed in your own work that, um, you know, mentally it's just more people are just wanting to work longer? Well, I think, yeah. So I think it's, Depends on your profession, obviously. Yeah,
1: I th- well, and yeah. I think you have to dig into it. Why are they working longer? Is it out of necessity? Is it out of passion and enjoyment? Mm. Is it out of some narcissistic, you know, feeling that they that they need to feel needed and important? What where's it coming from? Right. Mm. I think as as we look at a retirement, retirement means something different to everybody, but to, to us, it means the the ability to choose what you do and when you do it and and who you do it for.
0: So that's more like financial um, freedom, right? To to reach that it, level of yeah. choice. Okay.
1: It it is. And and because at that point you can be done working if you choose to, but mm. if you want to keep working that's great, yeah. right? If that keeps you mentally active and engaged and and you're fulfilling some deeper need and deeper purpose, fantastic, yeah. right? But at least yeah. you've got the flexibility to do that. Um but I do see I do see a trend of of working longer i do think it's interesting right back in i can't remember but i think brandon you can probably correct me i think the first social security payment was made in 1939 i want to say to item a and and it was like 20... Well, that was,
0: that was her name, Ida May. Yeah, I that, was her, wow. that was her name, Ida Mae. Yeah. I've seen the and, newspaper uh, article. <laughs> it was like $24
1: wow. or $29 or something like that. Right, Brandon? That I,
0: right? I don't remember the
2: dates. I remember seeing the newspaper article, though. <laughs> yeah, so, cool. so I yeah. think it
1: was 1939. So yeah. the average life expectancy back then was 60 years of age. Oh, you're kidding. Right? No, and oh. and that's just that's less than a hundred years ago, Whoa. right? That's less than a hundred years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm like creeping like up 60. on
0: death pretty quick here. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's knocking on your door. Oh yeah, right? um, we could sing a song. Um, so, so I think it's interesting that today, you know, our our average lifespan is eighty four or something like that, mid eighties, and and yet. You know, today, they haven't changed the age of taking Social Security very much, right? They, they've they changed it from 65 to 67, and yet the average lifespan has gone from 60 to 84. Right. And right. so, you know, people are needing to work longer and save longer because they don't have the pension, very few of them anymore. Social Security, you know, hasn't adjusted uh, to kick in later. And so it's, you know, it's, it's less significant in a, in a person's lifestyle than what it was back in the, in the forties and fifties and sixties. And, and yet savings rates still haven't caught up to everything else. And so that's why you see a lot of people working longer. Yeah. Politicians, that might be a different story. Yeah. Right. And so I'm not going to- They have important business to be doing
0: Rex, very important <laughs> business is.
1: to be doing that's what they tell me in their 12th term so i
0: don't know but. <laughs> well i uh, yeah, we have to believe them brandon yeah. talk to me about so this is um a, a behavioral finance strategy that is that is something you have mentioned multiple times on this podcast if you go back and listen but it is one that is probably is probably one that the, the most amount of people could take advantage of and that is making it automatic right, right. um because that way the stress is gone. You just say it's, it's, I don't even have to see it. It just goes to where it's supposed to go. And then I can log in and look at my accounts and then blah, blah, blah. So, and I'm left with, here's what I have for spending. Here's what I have for investments. And so how do you help people get to that point? And why does it provide such a benefit um, behaviorally to, to people's mindset with their finances?
2: Yeah. it, It removes the pain you know, and, and that's ultimately when we talk about behavioral finance, it's, it's emotional pain that may or may not be justified. And, and, you know, my 401k, right? I've got it set. It saves out of each paycheck. Literally don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, if I had to write a check, not that I write checks,
0: but if I had to, you know, pay a bill. I wrote two checks the other day. It was like the first time in 10 years. <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't I know what to. the
0: deal was, <laughs> but I wrote two in one day. Anyway. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, but, but if, if I had to Venmo myself, Venmo my <laughs> right. 401k, the, the dollar amount that I'm saving, I guarantee you. I would think twice on it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, I'd be like, whoa, you know, this month I could really use that, you know, like, should I? And I would go through emotional pain just to get to the same spot. But mm-hmm. if you make it automatic, if you set up those 401k contributions, so they're set, you set up your insurances so that those are set and and to take care of you, you set up, you know, all these other things just to get you on track, to be where you're supposed to be. Then, then you don't have to go through the emotional pain, right? You build your 401k and you get it allocated so that it's going to be good. And, 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 and you know, we can't predict the future mm-hmm. and, and we know we can't predict future markets, but we can set it up so that we know it, it has a high, high probability of being able to hit all the distributions we need, no matter what market cycle we're in. Mm-hmm. And, and if you set those things up, then you're able to just not think about it right? Spend time thinking about the grandkids, thinking about, you know, your kids, thinking about, you know, whatever it is that you want to spend time on and spend less time worrying about money. It it, it helps you make better decisions and, and it helps you live a better quality of life.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about how uh, your financial advisor can help you uh, emo- mentally and emotionally with money. But first, Brandon, do you have more numbers?
2: Yeah. Are we talking about Rex's morning yoga? That we're doing we're doing that with clients. <laughs> we're
0: gonna do that. We're gonna actually perform. So oh, we're we doing on that. The show. Okay, we're doing that yeah. on the show. Yeah, yeah just
1: <laughs> but oh, I do guys, have we want more followers, not fewer followers.
2: <laughs> we do have some more numbers. So while Rex gets limbered up, I can uh we'll jump into this. So so manufacturing, and this kind of I thought was interesting. First trust um came out and they they uh showed just highlighted some numbers and, and this was on manufacturing jobs, and so this probably doesn't surprise you. Um, but from ni- the 1940s until now, manuf- percentage of the population in manufacturing has gone down. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. saw
0: this the other day, uh, oddly enough. Oh, really? Yeah, right? Yeah. So
2: from 1940s, and this is non-farm payrolls, uh-huh. right? So, so people in non-farm industries um, constituted nearly 39% of all jobs in the country. Wh- when was this? 1940s. Okay. Now, just a little over 8%. Are doing manufacturing? Oh,
0: whoa, whoa, that's crazy! Yeah, so down
2: fairly significantly. So is that because
0: the robots have taken over?
2: Yes. Yes. So, so, so one thing, and this is gets into what people might not know, but we're actually the second largest manufacturing country in the world. We produce second to who? China. Okay. China's st- and they've they've got us beat. They they crossed. They we met up in about 2010. Mm. We were neck and neck, and they've you know taken off since then. Okay. No surprise to anyone, um, but we're still number two. You know, and, and we're actually a ways ahead of number three, which is, is Japan. Hmm. Um, but with with all that, so even though our, our manufacturing jobs have gone down from 39% to, to about 8%, we
0: are, where are we at? Um, Rex, is this good or bad?
1: Uh, I think it's interesting.
0: (laughs) That's a cop out answer, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so
2: so we provide we've increased our manufacturing output by six times over that same six fold.
0: So the output has increased six times, but the amount of people
2: percentage actually, of our population now our population has increased as population. well right gotcha. okay. but but you multiply okay. that by by increased population yeah. and and obviously machinery yeah. and stuff i mean we are not we're actually producing far more we're manufacturing far more than we did in the 50s 60s mm. 70s 80s 90s wow. and we kind of peaked around two between 2000 2010 is when we peaked and we've kind of leveled off since then mm. um but uh yeah kind of kind of interesting to see and I, I, your question to Rex is perfect. Right. Is that good or bad? It, neither. Right. Like and, and I think anytime I did a, a paper in college on this, it, the, the true the true enemy is volatility to people. Right. Mm. Um, it, it really. <laughs> okay. Quick tangent. So, so I did it on on, on the price of corn. Um, and, and it turns out we actually signed NAFTA, right? Mm-hmm. North American free trade agreement. And, and what that did was it allowed us to sell corn to Mexico. Turns out we can produce corn or we did, we could produce corn more, at a more cost effective rate than, than Mexico could produce their own corn because of machinery and things like that. Mm-hmm. So NAFTA gets put into effect and all of a sudden what happens to the price of corn in Mexico drops, Poof. drops down. Is that good news or is that bad news? Well, it's great news for everyone who primarily lives you know, on, on a very heavy corn diet, but it's really bad news for all the farmers, right? So, riots in the street, protests, this is after, this is a terrible thing, right? You've just destroyed all these jobs. Well, fast forward a little bit, all of a sudden we discover how to make corn into fuel, right? We make ethanol, yeah. right? Which has its evils. We won't talk about that <laughs> you know, as far as small engines and things yeah. like that. But, uh, but we turn, now we start turning corn into fuel. What happens to the price of corn? Boof, jumps up,
0: right? Yeah. Because
2: the demand for corn goes up. And, and what do we have? Is everyone happy that the corn prices went back up? No, now we've got process and rights in the streets, right?
0: Of course, so the lesson here is no one's ever happy.
2: Well, the, the lesson <laughs> is that volatility and change is never easy, mm. even if it's good, mm. even if it's for the betterment, mm. the long term, right? Nobody wishes that we're all farmers still, right? Like, I'm glad I don't have to go farm and work, you know, a farming job. Um, but, but you know it, it it's just an evolving Stick for economy. yourself
0: <laughs> you
1: know electronic that being said we love farmers and we could not without them no <laughs> yeah. oh, absolutely Amen. i've got Amen. family
2: that farms and they yep. love it but they but i guarantee you they're glad they're not farming like we did in the 40s oh sure right absolutely. like nobody wants yep. to go back to that and right. but with that said i mean every as these changes were made i guarantee you there were farmers saying I'd rather stick with the horse than plow, right? Mm-hmm. The stupid tractor needs oil changes and it breaks down and I'm just going to stick, you know. And so anytime you have change, it, it's, you know, it's going to cause some some growing pains.
0: I think this was one of your best um, numbers. Yes, more numbers. Oh, yes. thank you. It created controversy. <laughs> so bring bring it. Uh, Rex, what is the role? Uh, I mean, it's your role. It's what you do on the daily. You know, how can, it's your Role as a behavioral coach, essentially helping clients make rational decisions. What are the tips that you share with clients to make the best decisions with their finances?
1: I I think the tips are, or you know, like what we've said all all along: make it automatic, right? I think that's that's a fantastic tip. Hmm. Um, I think trusting you know assuming that you've done your due diligence and, and things like that trusting your advisor to, to help hold your hand and steady you know steady you through your goals um i think trying to not make your decisions during extremely emotional times and and trying to take a step back to make more logical decisions and and looking at opposite points of view right and so brandon and i constantly will talk about, you know, the the bear case of the market or the bull case of the market and, and so-and-so has this point of view and so-and-so has that point of view and they're they're diametrically opposed, right? right? And yet they're not lacking confidence, either one of
0: them. Right. And
1: uh, Just watch any so, morning
0: finance show. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Any, any one of them, right? And they'll, yeah. and they'll have the same thing. They'll have a bull case, a bear case, positive case, a negative case. Right. You, you look recession tomorrow.
0: You, never recession. I don't believe we're going right. to have it. No, we're already in it. Like, and they are so confident in their answers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and the point is, everybody is typically right eventually. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, but but rarely are any of them right on their projected timeline. Mm, right. Um, and so, it, you know, I think you have to take that into consideration that nobody can predict the future. Nobody can tell you if the market's going to be up or down tomorrow. And I think, you know, avoid those things that are avoidable, right? Prepare for the fact that uncertainty is going to happen. That, you know, prepare for what you can and, and then handle things unemotionally best you can as life events happen, as life happens to you. Um, I think those are probably my best best tips and advice other than I guess the, the most obvious one is, is visit plan with Baxter.com. But that's <laughs> probably Obviously, the most obvious. obvious. Tip, Ob- right? I
0: mean, duh. I mean, yeah. duh. Rex, I'm not a gambling person. I don't know much about it at all, but do you know if outside of doing puts and shorts and stuff, but can you go to like a, like a, like a Vegas gambling house and just bet on whether or not the market will be up tomorrow? <laughs> Um, I don't know
1: about it, a Vegas gambling house necessarily, but there are absolutely, you know, yeah, there's always somebody that will take the opposite side of a
0: bet. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Also, I want to mention that I'm not a big, uh, I don't play a lot of games. I play Monopoly and I play Pit. Have you guys played Pit? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. on the barley. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I had no idea it was what it was, right? Cuz I learned it as a kid and you're just collecting your commodities right. and and then uh you don't want to go out with the bear and you want to <laughs> double your money with with the bull and I didn't know I was playing the stock market game, but that's essentially what you're doing. But if, you know, I don't know how this ties into behavioral stuff with but it does set uh if you're not used to the market or you don't understand the market, it's a fun way to learn what actually goes on on the daily on the stock market floor. So I don't know. There's that.
1: Yeah. I think that, I think there's a lot of games that, that can kind of help you with that a little bit. I mean, pit pit is fun for, you know, commodities, futures trading. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so not necessarily the stock market, but still dealing with volatility, still dealing with, with some of those emotions. There's a, a game out there called the stock market game to where it has like you know, you own different stocks. You decide if you're buying or selling at the at the price you're buying for, and then a news event happens that oh, drives cool. that stock price up or down. Yeah. And and so I, you know, I used to play that with Boy Scout groups and different things like that all the time to kind of try and teach them, you know, the the you know just kind of the basics of buying and selling and and what can happen and how news events affect stock yeah. prices and and things just to kind of wet their appetite a little bit. So uh, there's a lot of different games out there that, that go through that. I think, I think one of the things that, that people need to do is, is be, you know, emotionally intelligent, right? Looking internally and trying to understand themselves well enough to understand what their biases are and, and why they're making decisions um, that they're making over and over. And, and the more self-intelligent they can become, about those processes, I think the more successful they'll be in investing, as well as just in life and relationships in general. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, But I think that's much easier said than done.
0: Yeah. Brandon, uh, last words on the psychology uh, of money, which is a book we have, psychology (laughs) of money. So psychology of wealth and building wealth and, um, you know, the importance of recognizing and managing that is when it comes to money.
2: Yeah, I think being conscious of things and then realizing that you're not invincible, right? Because all of us, myself, included, like I love, I personally love reading through these and just, you know, trying to pick out which ones I'm worse at, you know, than others. Cause, cause we all have it, you know, and, and, and recognizing it helps me get through it without making as many mistakes. And I know I'm still not, you know, I'm obviously not perfect at every decision, but, but understanding like, okay, this is why, this is why I'm feeling a little bit of stress or a little bit of pain. It's a natural human emotion as we work through, you know, these types of things. And it helps you stay on track.
0: Yeah. I like that. It's a natural human emotion, Rex. Uh, what is your weak point, Rex? How do you stay so focused? Yoga. Well, yoga. Daily yoga.
1: I have, I have seven kids. Um, so it's a necessity. Necessity. <laughs> 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 <So, laughs> no, I I think we all have we all have our own biases, right? And so, you know, I, I again I was raised by, by two school counselors, right? And and we you know, as I was growing up, my dad had three jobs mm. um throughout the year at all times, you know, worked as hard as any man that I've ever known, which you know, has has caused me to kind of try and mirror that work ethic and and things along those lines is where that comes from. But I think I think trying to recognize those things in yourself and and kind of the weaknesses or the biases you have. And I I think, you know, I think we all constantly learn about ourselves. We all constantly kind of fight against those biases and recognize them. And and I think I'm I'm lucky in the fact that being raised by, by two extremely emotionally intelligent individuals, um, it's given me the ability to try and step back and look at things very logically. And that's, that's why I'm so passionate about this topic is because it's so interesting to me how people make their decisions, Mm -hmm. especially around money, Mm -hmm. because money makes people do crazy things. Are you still surprised?
0: Are you still surprised on occasion?
1: Oh, almost on, on the daily, okay. right? I mean, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm still constantly surprised. And, and then as I dig into it and I look at, oh, this is why you made that decision. Mm-hmm. I understand still wrong decision. Probably, <laughs> but, but I understand, yeah. you know, and yeah. I, and I can laugh with you and, and now let's figure out how to correct it, right? right? And right. let's figure out where we go from here. It's not right or wrong. It really, it's just where we're at today. And so let's just yeah. move forward and figure out how we get from point A to point B, um, you know, wherever that point B may
0: be. I like that, Rex. So you're like, listen, I'm judging you. I'm totally judging you, but just, but, but not like we can totally move <laughs> through this. Like, 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 I'm not really judging. Like we're not really like, kind of judging but you but not really. Yeah. Judging you. You're like, yeah. I've seen it all. In you, so it doesn't really matter. So, uh, very good Rex. Thanks so much, Brandon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, this has been through the pines reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.